Psalm 119, 1 through 8. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, whose walk in the law, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. When I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus, this is your word that we just heard read. And we know because of that, we can trust it with all our being, because we trust you. And we ask that through your word, you'll speak to us. We ask that we will come into your very presence. And that your word will do the work that our heart needs this morning. You know every person in this room. You know all that has happened this week, the good and the bad. And so, Lord, may your, may your word speak. We are listening. We pray this in Jesus' holy and beautiful and majestic and worthy name. Amen. Amen. Well, Merry Christmas. Thank you. What do you say after it? Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Or Merry Christmas. <laughs> it's confusing. Or do you say, you know, Happy Festivus? Anyways, um, I've been thinking about this Happy New Year thing we do when we say Happy New Year. Um, and it's occurred to me that when you say Merry Christmas and the person responds Happy New Year, or you say Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, what that is is basically a, a, uh, a secular, what I mean by secular is, is, is a not particularly religious blessing, a socially acceptable secular blessing. Because what are you saying to say Happy New Year? You're saying, may you have a Happy New Year. That's a blessing formula. You see this all in the Bible. Probably the best known one is Numbers 624. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and give you his peace. So it's a societally acceptable way to bless one. May you have a happy new year. And it's, a, and it's an appropriate blessing because everyone wants to be happy. Everyone wants 2024 to be a happy new year. Uh, we, we want it not just in a superficial sense of happy, clappy, or just some kind of ephemeral, temporary, emotional feeling, but we want deep contentment, deep fullness, deep life. And so it's an appropriate thing to say, but there's a problem here, which is when you say have a happy new year, what exactly is happiness? Uh, what exactly do we want to happen? Um, I will probably never again quote a motivational speaker, but if you're going to quote a motivational speaker, New Year's Eve is probably the day to do it. But Tony Robbins says it well. He says, you can't hit a target if you don't know what it is. And so when I say Happy New Year, or you say Happy New Year to me, and we mean it very well, but the question is, what is happiness that we might have that in the new year? Or to use a more biblical word, what is blessedness? What is true blessedness? Now, Psalm 119 is the longest psalm by a long shot of all the psalms. And it begins by telling us what blessedness or what real happiness is. And even more than that, it points us to the only person who ever lived, who lived a truly blessed life, whose name is Jesus, who gives us his blessedness. 
So that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're looking at the first eight verses of Psalm 119, and our outline is going to be following three questions that kind of build on each other. First question, and which is the first point, what is true blessedness? Second point, whom is true blessedness? Third point, where is true blessedness? So again, if you haven't turned to Psalm 119, it's, it's helpful to, to kind of read along as we do this. We're going to be in verses 1 to 8. But first point, what is true blessedness? Now, quick overview of Psalm 119. I mentioned it's the longest psalm in the Bible. And the reason it's so long is it's an acrostic poem. If you know what an acrostic poem is, it's where every line begins with a letter, an intentional first letter, and you can then read down and read something. And Psalm 119 is an acrostic poem of the Hebrew alphabet. And so each eight-verse stanza covers a different Hebrew alphabet. So if you look at your Bible, it begins with Aleph, which is, when you think of A as the first letter in the, in the English alphabet, Aleph is the first letter in the Hebrew alphabet. So um, if you want to, you know, impress people, if, you, you know, if you're not in seminary, no one's impressed if you're in seminary, but if you're not in seminary, you can impress people and say, I, anyways, I don't know what you do, but that's what that means. And if you could read in Hebrew, each line in this uh, first eight verses begins with the letter Aleph. So that's just some background. Let's go ahead and look at verses 1 to 2. Again, what is true blessedness? Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. So again, what is true blessedness? Well, there's two parts that we see in this psalm. The first part of true blessedness is knowing God through his law. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Now, something helpful to understand, when the Bible uses the word law, it can use it in a narrow sense, which refers typically to just the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, or even just through the law that God gave Moses on Sinai. That is the law. But oftentimes, the Bible uses the law much more broadly for basically God's revelation of who he is and what he wants for us. And so that's and that's how it's used, it's being used here in Psalm 119. And so it says, blessed are those who walk in the law of the Lord. You could substitute that as those who walk in the word of God, in the scriptures, the revelation of who God is. And so again, what's the first part of true blessedness? It's knowing God through his word. Now you may pause and say, Mike, okay, I'm reading this as you told me to, and I notice it does not say blessed are those who know the law of God, but it says those who walk. It's those who keep God's testimonies who are blessed. And that's true, and we'll get to that. But just to state the obvious, you can't keep something you don't know. You can't walk in something, have your life be so engaged with something that it's flavored, the aroma of this, unless you're intimately acquainted with, with what it is. And in fact, as you go through Psalm 119, which we won't this morning, but if you did, that's a common theme of knowing God's word. In the next stanza, Psalm 119.11, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sing against you. Again, knowing God's word, memorizing it. Or Psalm 119.18, open my eyes that I might behold wondrous things out of your law. Again, true blessedness is knowing God through his word. And in a day and an age of fake news and AI revolution and highly polarized and partisan journalism in a day when people will say with a straight face, well, that may be true for you, but it's not for me, right? As if truth is like zip code defined, you know, based on your zip code, we can know that truth has fallen on hard times. And here's the thing, that truth matters. 
Because Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And because we as humans are knowing beings, which means we are able to reason and think through things and come to conclusions, how we think, how we reason, the conclusions we come to, even if they are absurd and inconsistent and make no sense, they form us as beings. They form how we act. And so what we know, how we know, makes a huge deal. And so the first part of true blessedness is knowing the truth of God his ways, his purposes, the way he has ordered life to be. But again, merely knowing who God is and knowing about him and his word is not enough. And in fact, that's not what's emphasized in the psalm. The second part of true blessedness is then walking in, in the law, as it says, or walking in God's word. Uh, again, verse 1, blessed are those whose way is blameless and who walk in the law of the Lord. Again, it's, it's interesting. So again, blessed are those who hear the words of God and do them. But this isn't just a matter of just external obedience. Here's the rules I need to keep. I can check them off my box. Because notice it doesn't say, blessed are those who do what the Bible says. It says, blessed are those who walk in the law of the Lord. And the psalm's not just being poetic. It's being intentional. This is a common Hebrew way of describing the whole way of life. Again, let your life be flavored by this. May this be the aroma of your life. May it be what drives you and motivates you and grounds you. In other words, there's a difference, which I want us to get to here, between obeying a law, a rule, and walking in it. And, and I'm going to give you an example. When I was in high school, I mostly went to public high school. So my freshman year of high school, I went to a Christian private school, and it had a hair code for the men. I don't know if it had one for the women. It may have just been you have to have hair if you're a woman. But for men, your hair could not be more than halfway down your ears, and it couldn't touch an Oxford collar, which is just in the, you know, in the back. And, and the spirit of the rule, the, what they're going for is we want our young men to look clean-cut, presentable, respectable. That was the spirit. That's what they were going for. But the, the letter of the law was it can't be more than halfway down your ears. You can't touch collar. So I'm a freshman, and I was a skater kid at the time, and skater kids don't look clean-cut does not fit the persona. And so I literally would cut my hair over my ears at halfway, and I would cut it in the back so it never touched my collar, and then I let everything else go. And I was obeying the letter of the law, but obviously I was not walking in that law. Again, to walk in the law of the Lord means to seek the Lord and obey it from the bottom of our heart. And this is where it, it gets in, in, in the second part of, I'm sorry, in verse 2. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies and who seek him with their whole heart. To fulfill the will of God doesn't just mean behaving in certain ways or not behaving in certain ways, fulfilling the letter of the law, but it means accepting and embracing and loving God's word and then walking in it. And the rest of the stanza is basically re reiterating that this is blessedness. Knowing God and walking in his ways. Verse 2, keeping his precepts. Verse 3, walking in his ways, doing no wrong. Verse 4, keeping his statutes, and on and on and on. This is true blessedness. Knowing God through his word and walking in his ways. Now the question is, why is this true blessedness? For some of us who naturally love to read, it's obvious. Well, I love reading the Bible. For some of us who maybe don't as naturally love reading, may not be as obvious, but either way, the reason why knowing God through his word and walking in it is true blessedness 
is because when we do that, we come to know God himself. We, we encounter the living God who speaks and knows your name and has numbered the hairs on your head. Scripture, especially, you know, for us who, who love to study the Bible, we always have to remember that Scripture is not a puzzle we're trying to solve. It's not a dead carcass on the table we're trying to figure out the ins and outs like you're a medical student versus your physiology. But knowing and living out the Scriptures is blessedness because when we do so from the bottom of our hearts, we encounter the living God who still speaks right to our hearts. For in the end, again, Bible trivia won't set you free. It's Jesus that will set you free. And in the word, we come to the word. And so this is blessedness, to know God through his word and to walk in it. Now, again, let's apply this to our lives. We all want to have a blessed 2024. We want to flourish. We want a full life. We want to be content. And so what this psalm is telling us is if you want true blessedness, if you want full contentment, full life, then commit yourself to knowing God in his word and walking in his, walking in his ways. I'm not a huge New Year's resolutions person. In fact, I don't think I've ever made a New Year's resolution in my life, an honest one. But this is the only New Year's resolution you can make where there's a promise of blessedness in it. <clears throat> you may, you may you know, resolve to eat better or to watch less TV or have better life habits, and, and they'll probably go well for you. It might also add up. <laughs> but this is a promise that if you do this, this is blessedness. It will lead to blessedness. So here's my question for us. Do we believe that? Do we really believe that God has made us a promise that in his word, if we know him through his word, and we walk in his word, that that will lead us to blessedness? And maybe to make it even a little bit, uh, you know, be a little bit more real here, <coughs> if someone, and outside observer could look at your life in 2023, would it be clear to them that you believe that, that there's blessedness in the word of God? What an incredible promise. You don't know what 2024 is going to bring. I don't know what 2024 is going to bring. But if you know God through his word and you walk in it and you meditate on it and you chew it, memorize it and try to you know, do what it says, you'll be blessed. You'll have the favor of God. You'll walk closely with God. You'll experience his presence. So what is true blessedness? Again, it's knowing God through his word and walking in it. That's our first point. What is true blessedness? Second point, whom is true blessedness? Now here's the thing. This psalm, as helpful as it is, can be a crushing burden. Because again, notice who, who is blessed. Right? Well, again, it's the one whose way is blameless, who walks in the law of the Lord. It doesn't say the one who tries his best is blessed, or the one who shows the most improvement, or the one who has the best of intentions. It doesn't, again, not to contradict what I just said, it doesn't say the one who reads his Bible every day or her Bible every day is blessed. It says the one whose way is blameless, who walks with perfect integrity, with perfect consistency, day in and day out, never being hypocritical or inconsistent, loving God with their whole heart, the one who seeks to follow God's ways from the very bottom of his or her heart. That person is blessed. And so here's, here's another question. Okay, 
if knowing God through his word and walking in his ways is true blessedness, what if we know God and his ways, and yet we're not able to walk in them? Then what? What's the outcome then? And this is what Paul's getting at when he writes in Romans 7, 10. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. When we can see where blessedness is, and yet we can't do it, then the commandment is death to us. It's despair. Because if we're really honest with ourselves, the depths of our hearts are murky and contradictory. And yes, there's a part of us that wants to do what's right and saves. And there's another part of us that doesn't. And it honestly resents God for even asking us to do something we wouldn't like to do. And so far from bringing blessing on its own, Psalm 119, apart from the narrative of Scripture, apart from what comes later in the Bible, Psalm 119 brings death. Because we see what blessedness is, and none of us can walk in it. None of us will have a happy ending. And that's why Paul ends Romans 7 with that profound, wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me? But he doesn't end there. Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, this is a good time to remember that all of Scripture points us to Jesus. Every part of it, in some way, is pointing us or preparing us for the coming of Jesus. Because what Psalm 119 is describing is not, hey, this is your checklist for what you need to do in this coming year. It's describing Jesus. Because Jesus was the only man who ever lived, or the only woman, he wasn't a woman, he was the only person that ever lived, who walked a perfectly blameless life, and who walked in the law of the Lord perfectly. And so in the end, the real question is not what is blessedness, it's against whom is blessedness, and it's Jesus. Let's look at how Jesus fulfilled this psalm. It says again, blessed are those whose way is blameless, and Jesus' way was perfectly blameless. Peter describes it in this way in, 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 in his epistle. He says, for to, you, uh, for to this you have been called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example, so you may follow his steps. Here you get some getting it. He committed no sin, and neither was deceit found in his mouth. And when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Jesus lived a blameless life, one of perfect integrity. And here's the thing is he didn't do it when he was on vacation or when he had the day off or when life was going well. He did it when he was being betrayed and when he was suffering and when he was committing great sacrifices. He did it in all the times when we come apart at the seams, when we don't live blamelessly. That's when Jesus lived blamelessly with a perfect, consistent integrity and wholeness before God. This is, again, it says he committed no sin. This is why at the end of his life, when his enemies are trying to take him down, Jesus, who had lived three years, a very public life, like there was no privacy back then, right? There were no hot mic moments because, you, you know, you, I mean, he had surrounded by his 12 disciples and the hundreds more, he said many, many words, and yet no one was able to find even a fraction of something that they could hold against him. They had to lie, make it up. Well, Jesus said this. No, he didn't. That's how blameless Jesus was. No, I mean, 
you guys could find things I've done that's not blameless. Nothing that's disqualifying. Martha's like, Mike, don't make yourself sound worse than you are. But I'm not perfect. You could find times I lost my temper, times when I was impatient, proud. They couldn't find anything on Jesus. That's how blameless he was. Jesus fulfills this. Blessed are those whose way is blameless. That's Christ. But also the second part, blessed are those who seek him with their whole heart. Again, in verse 2, blessed are those who keep his testimonies and seek him with their whole heart. Again, that's Jesus. Jesus said in, in John 5, 30, by myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself with him who sent me. All of Jesus' life was marked by one desire, and that was to please his Father. That's what it means to seek God with your whole heart, everything you have. And Jesus fulfilled that. If you keep going through the psalm, in, in, in verse 5, Jesus alone was steadfast in keeping God's statutes. Verse 7, Jesus alone praised the Father with a completely upright heart. And that's why the Father made public testimony about his Son in two different times. Once at his baptism, when he spoke said, you are my beloved son, and with you I am well pleased. Because his son lived a blameless life. Or at his transfiguration before Peter, James, and John, he said, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And so again, whom is true blessedness? Well, it's Jesus Christ, the blameless and faithful son of God. But this still doesn't answer our deepest question. Because I don't think you came here this morning out of wanting a theoretical, like, hey, what is blessedness? What might it look like? You want to know how, how can we experience this kind of blessedness? Where is this blessedness? And this brings us to our third point. So our first point, what is true blessedness? Knowing God through his word and walking in it. Whom is true blessedness? Is Jesus Christ the only blessed person in the world? But again, third, where is true blessedness? And here's where we see that Jesus doesn't just fulfill the blessedness part of the psalm, but he fills all of it. Even verse 8. Look at verse 8. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. That's a very interesting way to end the stanza. The psalmist, under the inspiration of the Spirit, is laying out what blessedness is, and he gets to the end of it and knows, I'm qualified. This is blessedness, but I've never known. And so he finishes with this heartbroken plea. Don't forsake me. God, don't treat me how I deserve. But Jesus Christ, who is truly blameless, who loved God with all his heart, he was forsaken. For you and me, he was forsaken on the cross. Matthew 27, as he was dying on the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or as Paul describes it, gives it a theological interpretation in 2 Corinthians 5, he said, God, the Father, made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. So where is true blessedness? The same answer is whom is true blessedness? It's in Jesus Christ. True blessedness in 2024, brothers and sisters, is found in the one who became sin for you so that you might receive the blessedness that Christ had, which is righteousness, the righteousness of God. For by faith, 
by believing in Jesus, you receive the gift of immeasurable worth, Christ's own blessedness. And by walking in the word of God, by walking in Jesus himself, we remain in that blessedness. And there are times when the spirit of Jesus gives us echoes of the blessedness we will have with Christ for all eternity when he floods our souls with peace and contentment. And they're just echoes. They don't, they don't last all the time. They're just foreshadowing of what we're going to experience. So Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. That which we long for, happiness, joy, contentment, blessedness. And once we know that it's here, I want to be more clear. He is here. He has come. And he's with you by his spirit. That for which you long for more than anything else, even if you can't name it, he's here. For Jesus himself is true blessedness. Because again, we all yearn for, for blessedness. The alcoholic yearns for blessedness. It says they yearn for it in the bottom of a bottle. The workaholic yearns for blessedness. It says they yearn for it in their career and what they hope to accomplish. The retiree yearns for blessedness and enjoying their golden years. The student or the budding seminarian yearns for blessedness and good grades of one day in a fruitful ministry. The young parent yearns for blessedness and the health and well-being of their children. And the old yearn for blessedness and the hope that their life has meant something. But true blessedness, fellowship with God, favor with God, the forgiveness of sin, it's only found in Jesus Christ and it can only be received as a gift by faith. And so that happiness and that blessedness which you long for more than anything this year, you can only receive when you're finally willing to, one, admit that it is indeed what you are yearning for, and two, that you cannot acquire it on your own. That there's nothing in you you can bring to deserve it. There's nothing in you you can do to earn it. There's no amount of work you can do. It can only be received once you admit, I, I can do nothing. But Jesus has acquired it for us. And he gives it to any who ask in faith and repentance. And so, beloved, this new year, center your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Because he alone is true blessedness. And there's a lot of good things that are going to happen this year. A lot of good things in your life. A lot of good dreams and hopes that you all have. And all I would say is don't let those crowd out what is the true source of blessedness, which is our Lord and Savior, Jesus himself. Keep him before your eyes. For in the midst of the victories and the failures and the faithlessness and the faithfulness that we will all experience this coming year, Jesus alone remains true blessedness, and he alone remains faithful. From him alone do we receive the blessedness that our hearts yearn for. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that we will know the blessedness that comes from knowing you. I pray that um, we would come again and again in faith knowing that we cannot find blessedness, we cannot earn blessedness, we cannot white-knuckle our way to blessedness, but only can we receive it. And that you delight to give if we will only ask. 
Jesus, may you remove all things in our lives that, that tempt us to find blessedness in other things and tempt us towards other places. Show us over and again that what we yearn for, what we long for, is found only in you. That in you we find all the answers to our questions and all the reconciliations of every tension. We find it in you alone, in your very person, in your death and resurrection, in the hope of you coming back. We thank you for your kindness and your mercy. In your beautiful name we pray. Amen.